So we are continuing our series entitled Road Trip. Uh, anytime you take a road trip, there are things you can expect to happen on the road. Uh, good chance you'll use GPS. Uh, there will be snacks and pit stops. Uh, someone will be asking, are we there yet? Um, and when you go on a road trip, you need to get ready for all the things that will happen on a road trip. And so as we prepare to launch our new vision and direction for TFRC, um, the series Road Trip is a lead up to that fall vision kickoff. Uh, God is leading TFRC on a new journey, and we are using this series to get ready to go where God wants to take us next. Uh, when you are on a road trip, there are things you do in the car to pass the time. And again, with phones and iPads um, and those kinds of things, you can watch movies or YouTube clips or text your friends or play video games all on your phone. But as we saw in the video, there was a day uh, when you had to interact with each other in the car to pass the time. Um, and so even though we can still be on our phones, uh, road trips still offer opportunity for relationships because of the common experiences you have on the trip. Uh, the things we experience on road trips, well, those become the stories we tell. And the people who are a part of our stories, those are the ones we have a permanent bond with. The scripture this morning is from Exodus chapter 12, uh, verses 31 to 39. Uh, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or look it up on your phones. Uh, Exodus, second book of the Bible. Last week we were in Exodus 3 when God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Now, after Moses has confronted Pharaoh, after the ten plagues, uh, the tenth one being the death of the firstborn, including the firstborn son of Pharaoh, well, now Pharaoh finally agrees to let the Israelites leave Egypt, and that's where we pick up uh, the story. Our scripture reader this morning is John Pearson. I'm going to ask John to make his way up to the podium, and as he does that, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us that Scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe this is the Word of God. And so, John, whenever you're ready, please read from Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 to 39. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. John, thank you very much. You may be seated. You know, trips offer 
um, opportunities for relationships. Uh, many of us here at TFRC um, have done a number of study trips to Israel and Egypt and Turkey and Jordan. Uh, in addition to the great experiences we've had on these trips, uh, great relationships form as well. And you can tell that from the stories that get told. Um, a few years ago, seven of us from TFRC did a study trip to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. It was myself and Brett. Um, and Pastor John and Ray and Christy Pickett and Ryan and Rachel Demlo. Uh, it was led by a gentleman named George DeYoung. And there were like a total of 30 people on the study trip. And the seven of us were just a part of the group. And again, your experiences turn into stories and stories bond you together for years after the trip. Um, one story that you will hear from our trip is when we crossed the border from Egypt into Israel. Now, uh, crossing borders in that part of the world is serious business. Um, so our bus dropped us off so we could go through Egyptian customs, and then you'd have a short walk through what was literally no man's land, and then go through Israeli customs, uh, enter Israel, and then there was another bus waiting for us there. Um, and so when you go through customs, you want to stay with your study group. Um, now, something that some of you know, others of you don't about me, is that I tan really well, okay? I can get pretty dark when I tan. And between my tan and my beard, okay, I look different when I'm in the Middle East, just so you know. And because of how I look different, I've had remarkable experiences crossing borders in the Middle East. Um, so like when we were leaving Egypt on this particular trip, the Egyptian guards did not believe I was an American. They made me show them my passport before they believed I was an American, even though I was with a group of 30 Americans. Um, and so we leave Egypt, walk through no man's land, onto Israel uh, security, and we're in line, and it's me, John, and Brett, and, you know, when the three of us would get together, we joked a lot. Um, and you really can't do that uh, when you are crossing borders and entering countries there. Uh, it's really serious. So I'm not trying, I'm trying not to laugh. You know, we're, we were joking about what happened to me with the Egyptian guards, but we're trying not to laugh. I'm trying to be serious. And so I get to the first security guy um, when we hit the Israeli security, and he looks at my suitcase. Now, I brought the suitcase that I actually took on the trip. This is the suitcase I took. I don't know if in the back you can tell how big this is. This is a really big suitcase, okay? I also don't know if you can tell the color. It's lavender. I purposely picked this size of suitcase and this color, the size so I could get all my stuff so I wouldn't have to do laundry. It was a two-week trip, and you went from hotel, 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 and I didn't want to be bothered with laundry. And then the color is when you go from hotel, 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 you take your, your luggage, and you have to take it on the bus, off the bus, on the bus, and you have to make sure your stuff gets on the bus. Well, when you have a lavender suitcase... Everybody knows whose it is. They all knew this was my suitcase. Oh, that's Chuck's suitcase. So I always knew it would make it on the bus. So I'm in line. I'm walking up to the Israel security guy. I've got the suitcase behind me because you have to carry it with you. And he asks me, um, who are you traveling with? And so I start explaining about the study group I'm with. And he stops me, interrupts me. And he says, no, 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 no. Are you traveling with your wife? Are you traveling with your kids? And I look at him and I said, no, I'm, I'm not. And he says incredulously, that suitcase is just for you? 
There's only one answer I can tell, which is the truth. Um, I sheepishly say, yes, yes it is. Um, and I can only imagine, because John and Brett saw this, they heard this, and I can only imagine what is going on in their minds. So then I get to the next part of security where you have to show your passport. And there are these two security people in a cubicle. One is sitting, one is standing. And I give my passport to the one who is sitting. Um, and she takes a really, really long time to look at my passport. And finally, the person standing, you know, acting like the superior, um, she just takes a passport from her, looks at it, looks at me, and says, where is your other passport? Um, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, I don't ha- do I have another passport? I don't think I have another passport. What? I said, I don't have another passport. This is your only passport? Um, well... Yeah, it is. It's my only passport. I don't know what to do. Now, on this trip, the seven of, seven of us have had, you know, we've had all sorts of amazing experiences, but we cannot talk about this trip. This trip does not come up when the seven of us are talking about it without one of them saying, Chuck, is that your only passport? Chuck, is that suitcase just for you? It's a part of the experience that has bound us together. Now, I'm going to put this obnoxious suitcase down here. Um, If you go back to the passage of the day and look at verse 37, where it says, um, the Israelites journeyed from Ramsey to Sukkoth, and there were about 600,000 men on foot, um, besides women and children. They were all on foot. In other words, in order to leave Egypt and go to the promised land, they had to walk. Now, just a really simple question. Why did they have to walk? Why walk? Now, I've taught a class on the book of Exodus a number of times. And one question that I will ask at the beginning of the class is, um, hey, if God asked you how to get the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, and you had all of the powers of the Almighty at your disposal, what would you suggest? Now, some of my favorite answers that people in my class have come up with is one person says, well, why don't you just get a couple cruise ships and just have them sail to the promised land in style a little bit. And um, last week I I showed a map with animations of different ways they could have gotten there. And if you look at the green line, that's one way they could have gone. Well, if they just would have gone north to that big blue section, the Mediterranean Sea, they could have caught a cruise ship and just have sailed there. Now, God splits a completely different sea in half so they can walk through it, Well, if God can do that, how about some miraculous boats? Um, Another favorite answer of mine is someone once said, well, why don't you just get a bunch of limos, get a bunch of limos, and just have the Israelites ride there in style? Um, And again, if you look at the orange line, why couldn't have God gotten some off-road limos where they could just driven there in style? You know, God brings bread from heaven, and he brings water from rocks. Why not some limos with air conditioning? Why can't he do that? Now, Cruise ships and limos. Okay, that's a little silly. I understand. That kind of stuff doesn't happen in the Bible. Well, how about just miraculously transporting them, like teleport them from one place to the next? Um, Because God's done that in the Bible. Don't know if you know where, um, but in the book of Acts, the apostle Philip baptizes an Ethiopian eunuch, and then this happens in Acts chapter 8. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus 
and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Um, God wants to get Philip from point A to point B, and so he just says, okay, you're here. I'm not going to take you over here. Boom, just like that. Uh, the distance that he miraculously traveled was 30 miles. Traveled 30 miles in an instant. Well, why not just do that with the Israelites? Would have made life a whole lot simpler. Just teleport them to the promised land. Why have them walk through the desert? Well, the answer is very simple. If getting the Israelites to the promised land was God's number one goal, then God wouldn't have had them walk. He would have done something like teleport. The reason they had to walk through the desert was because getting them to the promised land was not God's number one goal. It was definitely one of God's goals, but it was not his number one goal. God had something else he was trying to do, something else in mind, something that can only happen when you have to journey together, when you have to face adversity together, something that doesn't happen on a cruise ship or in limos or by simply teleporting people. And I can't cover all the things God was trying to do in the desert, but there are a couple things I wanna highlight. In leaving Egypt, God gives the Israelites a couple things they don't have while they're in Egypt. I'll mention those in a second. But in the desert, it takes the desert and walking in the desert for God to give them other things that they are going to need. Okay, when the Israelites leave Egypt, in the leaving of Egypt, God gives them independence. Again, verses 31 to 34 of the passage that John read earlier. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. And so the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They had no rights, no status, no freedom. And after the 10 plagues, Pharaoh and the Egyptians set them free. It's one of those you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here moments. In leaving Egypt, God gives them independence, freedom. They had been slaves for generations. They were slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their great-grandparents were slaves. It's all they knew. And while their freedom was great, it created a void. Now, just pick a profession, any profession. Farmer, teacher, police officer, doctor. I'm just going to use the illustration of a farmer, but you could pick almost any profession and this will work. Um, but let's just pretend that you're a farmer and your parents were farmers and your grandparents were farmers and your great-grandparents were farmers. And then all of a sudden, you're not a farmer anymore. What question are you left with? <laughs> uh, who am I now? Right? Who am I? If I'm not a farmer, who am I? And that's the problem the Israelites have. Uh, we're not slaves anymore. That's great, but who are we? They have independence. They do not have identity. They don't have identity. And we often see the Israelites as one people group. That is not how they were organized. 
They were not one group. They were 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes of common ancestry, they now have new independence. They're free. But free to do what? Free to be what? And God takes them for a walk in the desert. And he meets them on Mount Sinai. And he makes this covenant with them. And he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is all a new experience for them. And so God has them build a tabernacle. A tabernacle is a portable temple. It's a worship space that you can pack up and move while you travel in a place like the desert. And so as they journey through the desert, God will have them set up camp from time to time. And the camp resembles something like this picture. Um, Every time that they set up camp, the tabernacle is in the middle of the camp. It's where God dwells. And the tribes, each tribe, camps around the tabernacle in the exact same spot every time. It's like having assigned seating in school. Judah, you camp here. Simeon, you camp here. Dan, you camp here. Every time we camp, this is your spot around the tabernacle. And the key of all this is in the middle of the camp where the Lord dwells. It reminds them who is the center of their identity. The Lord gives them their identity. You are my people. I will care for you. And even though we are not freed slaves, I would argue each and every one of us from time to time, more often than we care to admit, we don't know who we are. Yeah, this is my work, and yeah, I'm a parent, or I'm a child, or I'm a student, or I... Yeah, but who are you? We struggle with the same sense of identity. We have all sorts of freedom to do almost anything. But who are we? Free to do what? Free to be what? And God says, you are my people, and I will care for you. And the more that the Israelites journey together with God at the center, God leading the way as they go, the more they are reminded who they are. They are the people of God. They have independence coming out of Egypt, but God makes them walk through the desert because he needs to instill an identity in them. Now, the Israelites, as they leave, they are given a bunch of stuff from the Egyptians coming out of Egypt. They are by no means poor. They are by no means destitute. Uh, They have all sorts of commodities. Looking, go back to the passage, verses 35 and 36, where it says, The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. Jumping down to verse 38. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. Because the Egyptians had enough of the plagues, they just wanted to be rid of the Israelites. And so they gave the Israelites anything the Israelites wanted. 
It was a very creative way to plunder the Egyptians. Silver, gold, clothing. They had large herds of cattle and sheep, which in the ancient world were a source of wealth. Financially, the Israelites, they're in great shape. Great shape. What they don't have is any real sense of community. They have commodities, they don't have community. As I said earlier, these were more 12 tribes than one nation. They had lived under oppression in Egypt. And Egypt, Egypt wasn't interested in community. Egypt was interested in things like power and glory and wealth. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, so God brings them into the desert, meets with them on Mount Sinai. Some of you know Mount Sinai was where the Ten Commandments were given. Some of the commandments established their relationship with God. Also, though, there were commandments that established what kind of community they needed to be, the kind of community God was building through them. Some of the community commandments you know very well. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false testimony, do not commit adultery. And while we focus on the Ten Commandments, um, there were a whole lot more than just the Ten. Uh, many of them, many of the other ones, instructed them on community. God wanted a community where everyone is treated with dignity. Just want to read some of the commands to you from uh, Exodus 21. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. Later in Exodus 21, if people quarrel and one person hits another with a stone or with their fist and the victim does not die but is confined to bed, the guilty party must pay the injured person for any loss of time and see that the victim is completely healed. Later in Exodus 21, if anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. Exodus 22, if a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. Later in Exodus 22, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Exodus 23, do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Exodus 23, verse 4, if you come across your enemy's ox or your enemy's donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. God is looking for a community where everyone is honored, everyone's stuff is honored, everyone's relationships are honored, everyone's reputation is honored. Even enemies should be honored. And remember the assigned seating when it came to the camp? You had to camp in the same spot next to the same tribe. And when you have to do that, again, you form community with those around you because you're always around them. Well, when they finally got to the promised land, the Israelites couldn't just settle wherever they wanted. They still had assigned seating. If you look at the map, 
of where the tribes were to settle in the promised land, they couldn't just settle wherever they wanted. This tribe, you settle there. This tribe, you settle there. This tribe, you settle here. Now, a main reason for this was because the land was their inheritance, but you can also see how this would promote community. <laughs> because just like in the desert, I'm going to have the same tribe as a neighbor. And so even in how they settled the land, God is developing community. TFRC has a rich history of being blessed by God. And while TFRC has its flaws and we're not perfect, it also has a rich history of following God's leading. And with all of the good things that we've seen God do in our past, God is not done with us. God is once again calling us, calling us to make him the center of our identity. He wants to continue to shape us as a community. God is leading us to a new place. Last week, I mentioned we are launching small groups this fall. And the small groups are going to be talking about the impact of the new vision. And these groups are designed to happen almost any day of the week. And there's a sign-up sheet at the information booth. And look, when the world shut down because of COVID, and I realize we're not completely out of the woods here, but when the world shut down because of COVID, it knocked us out of our spiritual rhythms. It's time to regroup. The future isn't going to be like the past. The opposition is going to be greater than before. And we need to reconnect as a community of faith. And these small groups are just one very practical way of trying to do that. Again, they're going to meet for nine weeks. It's not a long-term commitment. But it's a great way to rediscover our identity and to build community. They'll start the week of kickoff, which is September 12th. Hey, you could meet the people God wants you to build your faith with. The people that you are to journey with next as we follow God on our next adventure. How will your faith, how will your faith shape your identity more? How will your faith shape your circle of community more. Brothers and sisters, it's time to regroup. It's time to gather. It's time to be reminded of who we are and to start listening for what God has for us next. We live in exciting times and it's time for us to be ready. Please pray with me. And Lord, as we reflect upon the past, both as individuals, as families, as a community of faith, we are so grateful to your faithfulness to us. Lord, for all the adventures and all the journeys that you've taken us on. And Lord, I would ask that you, your spirit would instill in each and every one of us a new sense of excitement that as we regroup, as we regather, Lord, that we would be ready for the next adventure that you have for us. 
And Lord, that we would hear your call to journey on it together. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And as the Israelites were walking through the desert, journeying through the desert, uh, this was one of the blessings that came out of the desert. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.